Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day. We're so glad you joined us here for the conversation as we go verse by verse through the book of Jeremiah. Our series, The Hard Truth, is looking at this Old Testament prophet's messages of sorrow, judgment, and hope. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Hello there, friends, and welcome back to today's episode of Everyday Truth. I want to show you this uh, postcard from two of my really good friends, uh, Art and Sue Foltz, uh, who go to our church and are just uh, gems. appreciate you both. Uh, they were in St. Saint- Augustine recently. I think it's the oldest city in the United States, but uh, they wanted to let me know they were thinking about me on vacation. That's always a good thing. So Art and Sue, thank you for that and for listening to the podcast. We're in uh, Jeremiah 9, verse number 7 today. Uh, Jeremiah is just weeping, lamenting, uh, just incredulous that God's people would 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 deny God, would turn their back on God. I'm getting tongue-tied just thinking about it. And uh, we looked at a root cause yesterday because they didn't know God. And it wasn't that they couldn't know God. It was that they refused to know God. And by refusing to culture a relationship with God, they were basically consigning themselves to the wicked behavior that comes as a result of not knowing God, not being empowered by God, not being instructed by God uh, to their own hurt. Look at verse number seven. Therefore... Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Remember, Lord of hosts is a particular name for God, the God of the army, the God that's on the march, the God that is in charge, the God that can that can win, the, the Lord of the host, the Lord of hosts. So thus saith the Lord of hosts, behold, I will melt them and try them. And so this is not that, you know, God is going to, hit them with a lightning bolt, that the imagery here is that God is going to melt them like a refiner would melt metal to reveal silver or gold, melt down. It's a refining process. So God is speaking metaphorically, I will melt them and try them for how shall I do for the daughter of my people? Think about the Lord is asking this kind of this rhetorical question here, for how shall I do for the daughter of my people. I'm going to test them. I'm going to try them. I'm going to get rid of this dross in their lives that they are holding onto so fastidiously. But then he asked the questions, and how shall I do for the daughter of my people? It would be like a parent saying, what am I going to do with you? What what am I going to do with you? Maybe a, a child that just refuses to obey, a child that refuses to do what is expected and ultimately what's good for himself. What am I going to do with you? I've tried. We've 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 done timeout. We've done spankings. We've done um, all kinds of different strategies, and you just won't get. What am I going to do with you? That's that's the the thought behind what the Lord says here in verse number seven. In verse eight, their tongue, the Lord says, is as an arrow shot out. It speaketh deceit. Remember, we used this very imagery uh, last episode. One speaketh peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth, but in heart he layeth in wait. He layeth his wait. So 
Boy, on the outside with his words, he is using flattery and being so nice and drawing people in like some kind of a two-bit salesman does, but his heart is the real indicator of his deceit. And that is, he's really just using words as weapons. He's using words like a like a, a trapper would use a trap. Verse number nine, shall I not visit them for these things? And when the Lord says here, visit, it's not like visit, like you stop in and pay your friend to visit and have a cup of coffee. The word visit here means to visit in judgment. Shall I not do something about this? Am I going to just stand idly by while people are willingly and knowingly and repeatedly, habitually turning their back on me and snubbing their noses in my face? Can I just take this? Uh, can I just take this and take this and not do anything about it, says the Lord? No, it's, it's a rhetorical question. I mean, any reasonable person any parent, any authority, anybody who is trying to help others that are following would understand the Lord's mentality here. Of course, I've got to do something about this. Shall, shall I not visit that, visit them for these things? Saith the Lord, shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? Interesting how the Lord says that. Shall not my soul be avenged? So this was something that the Lord is taking very peace. When you speak about a soul, you're speaking about the very essence of who you are. You're speaking about your the, the very core of your being. And what the Lord is saying is, I am moved by this. You know, our behavior affects the soul of God, the very heart of God. Wow, what a what a thought. And when the Lord says, shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this, the, the word here for nation is the word that God would use for Gentile nations or for any other nation. Like, shall not my soul be avenged for, for, for you are behaving like everybody else. You're acting just like people that don't know me, that don't call, that, that are not called by my name. Uh, you're acting just like somebody who has never been influenced by my teaching and my word. Uh, how sad. Verse number 10, for the mountains will I take up a weeping and wailing. So uh, here, uh, the, the lament for the disobedience of God's people is taken up. And it's almost like Jeremiah said, for the mountains will I take up a weep. I'm going to weep for the mountains. I'm going to weep for the habitations of the wilderness, a lamentation. I'm going to weep for the mountains and the wilderness. Why? Because those are typically the places to which God's people would run and escape when battles would come, when persecution would come, when the enemy would come, uh, even during the time of the Canaanites and the conquest of the land. Remember, there were times when God's people had to go live in the mountains, like the days of Gideon, when the Midianites came, the children of the east, and they had to live in caves and mountains and uh, run and try to find a safe place. Well, what Jeremiah says here is, I'm going to weep for the mountains. I'm going to weep for the wilderness. Why? Because they are burned up so that no man can pass through them. So it's going to be so, judgment is going to be so real and judgment is going to be so profound that there's no hiding place. There's no safe place. There's no place to run and hide. Wow. So Jeremiah says, 
uh, I'm going to take up a lamentation for that, for them, because even they will be unable to provide protection and respite for a people that are rebellious. Verse number 10 again, neither can men hear the voice of the cattle, both the fowl of the heavens and the beast are fled, they're gone. No, when destruction comes, it's going to be complete. No hiding place. Uh, all that you own, all that you have, the birds will run away. The cattle will run away. There'll be complete and utter desolation that God's people will experience. Uh, verse 11, and I will make Jerusalem heaps. Well, now we're seeing this is coming more and more central, aren't we? Jeremiah starts with the outskirts and the mountains and the habitations and uh, the animals and the birds. But now he talks about the people of Jerusalem. Do you see how judgment is becoming more and more real? It's becoming more and more centralized. And oftentimes in our own lives, that's the way God works. He zooms in. You know, things happen at the, on the outskirts, on the extremities, and they ought to give us pause. They ought to cause us to repent. But sometimes we just don't see anything until it happens to the core of who we are, until there's really a problem. And the Bible says in verse number 11, I will make Jerusalem heaps, so heaps of stones, destruction, and a den of dragons. And the old English word here, dragons, uh, probably refers to jackals, uh, those dogs like coyotes slash dingo dogs that would be scavenging. And so certainly in a place of death, like a battlefield, a place like death, in this case, like Jerusalem, uh, the dogs, the scavengers, like the vultures and like the dingo dogs or like the jackals will come in and eat the, the dead flesh. So the Bible says, a den of jack of dragons, and I will make the cities of Judah desolate without an inhabitant. There's going to be total destruction. Now, does that mean that everybody's going to die? No, but it means that the entire town, the entire city will be vacated. And so, yes, some will die. Their carcasses will rot. Others will flee and run away and try to find whatever place they can. Others will be taken captive but nobody will be left there. It's going to be total and utter destruction. Verse number 12, who is the wise man that may understand this? Who is he to whom the mouth of the Lord hath spoken that he may declare it? For what the land, for, for, for what the land perisheth and is burned up like a, wil a wilderness that none passes through. Is anybody listening? Can anybody hear this? Is anybody discerning what this judgment will look like, what it will be? Is anybody out there? Verse 13, and the Lord said, because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them and have not obeyed my voice, neither walked therein, but they have walked after the imagination of their own heart and after Baalim, Baalim, I am, in the Hebrew, is plural, so multiple false gods, at which their fathers taught them. I'm going to stop there because I want to talk a little bit more about this next episode. But the reason for destruction, lest there be any mistake about this in our thinking, 
is because they have have cultured an improper relationship with God. That's what it says. Verse number 13, they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, have not obeyed my voice, neither walk therein. God said, I made it obvious to them. I gave them my expectations. I showed them in printed form a reflection of my character. I gave them my instructions. See the personality of this, my voice. You, I take this personally. I gave you every opportunity for success. I put my law in front of you. Other nations didn't have the kind of revelation that you had. They didn't know about me like you did. I put it right in front of you. I gave you my law. I gave you the very reflection of my character. And you have, who have received so much have rejected all of it. You are culpable. Because unto whomsoever much is given shall be much required. And I think that you probably are thinking what I'm thinking right now, and that is, that's American Christianity. Nobody has been more blessed uh, circumstantially, uh, financially. We've been blessed, and God's been so good to us. And we have all these opportunities to know God. We've got computers and cell phones and libraries and We have freedom and prosperity, and yet with all of it, what have we done with it? I think that's the point the Lord's making right here. So we're going to come back to verse number 14 next episode. I really do hope you'll join us as we complete this thought. Until then, have a great day in the Lord. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.